Hey everyone, Dynasty Zoltan here. Just a quick note before we start the podcast. The Trading Table podcast will be hosting a final startup draft of the season. It will be a $200 entry fee Dynasty startup, super flex, tight end premium, slow draft, drafting sometime at the end of July. Please DM either uh, myself or Dynasty Jacobian if you would like to get into this draft. Now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Trading Table Podcast. I'm joined here today by Dynasty Jacobian. How you doing? Good, man. I'm happy we're recording so I can close my eyes a little bit. I've been staring at the monitor all day working and I can tell you my eyes are probably bleeding at this point. So let's get down to business. Let's talk some football. Well, that's a little insulting. I'd, I'd hope that you would want to look into my beautiful eyes as we record it. But hey, you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, I am a, a Dynasty Zoltan, and uh, happy to have everyone back here today. Uh, excited to talk some football. For those of you who may have missed it, Jacob and I did a bit of a uh, different type of podcast uh, last week. Uh, we had a live trade negotiation, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I tried to edit out as much dead time as possible. I feel like we kept the conversation going, but it was uh, it was a good glimpse, I think, into seeing how we think through deals and building our team as we go. Unfortunately, that deal did not come to fruition. The other owner that the deal was contingent upon backed out. He apparently, had a little bit of a misunderstanding with the league settings, so we'll give him a, a little break there. But unfortunately, all our hard work was for naught. And that will happen. I mean, I, I really I really think half of being a good trader, probably more than half, is just putting in the effort. Um, there's so many trades I see go through where I've received 10 bad, terrible trades from a guy, not even worth countering, and then all of a sudden he gets an absolute steal of a trade from someone. And you just know that guy is on sleeper, sending 50 trades a day, all of them dog shit, hoping that someone makes a mistake once. And, you know, I... I don't really have that energy most of the time, but for those of those who do, I, I guess props. Yeah, you know, you got to send out some good with the bad, see what sticks, but ultimately everybody has different values of every player in each league. So it's important to remember that the way you th- see things may not be how someone else does, and sometimes that can uh, lead you to making a big steal or a big mistake. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so let's get on and uh, first start talking about um, some of the trades we've made recently. Uh, I, I know that this is uh, kind of all that's going on in fantasy football right now, so I think it's worth talking about. Um, you, you said you had a big trade you just made that you wanted to discuss? What, you don't want to discuss my eight Paris Campbell trades? I do actually want to hear from you. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. L- let's talk Paris Campbell because... You've made eight Paris Campbell trades. They're outlined in a good thread on your Twitter account. Basically, the range that you're getting him for is like a little bit more than a third. Yeah. It's essentially two thirds that I'm paying to get Paris Campbell. And, you know, I've seen people get him for a third. I've seen him go for a future third. Um, He's one of those unique players where he came into the league with a lot of hype. And then when he's been on the field, he's actually looked pretty good. The problem is, is he's never been on the field. He's been injured most of the season, every season since he's been in the league. Um, so we really don't know what we have with Paris Campbell. Uh, that's 
pretty much made him almost valueless across the board. In thinner leagues, he might even be on your waiver wire. Um, but generally for me, um, Paris Campbell's always been a guy I've been intrigued by. You know, I, I'm as a Michigan guy, Michigan guy um, I always like drafting Ohio State players who kill horrible breeds. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> It's a, it's a little bit of a sadistic tendency, but Paris Campbell was the go-to guy, really creative route runner. Um, when you think of a burner that could be a true wide receiver one, Paris Campbell fit that mold almost perfectly um, comparable to a T.Y. Hilton. And I was really excited for him to go to the Colts. I, I drafted him around the 1.7, 1.9 area in virtually all of my 2019 drafts. And... Um, Sadly, that has not paid off yet, but the hope lives on. Uh, but for, for two-thirds, like I, I've been paying a Devin Singletary, um, which is probably more than you need to pay. You probably can get a third with Devin, uh, with Paris Campbell for Devin Singletary. Um, I've paid a 24 and 25 third for him. Um, so those are all types of deals that they're almost a lock to get you Paris. And what you'll get with him is a guy you can pretty much pencil in as a zero on your team with the upside of maybe a wide receiver too because all the reports are coming out that he is penciled in as one of their top two receivers. He's going to be on the field with Matt Ryan. He's going to be playing as long as he's healthy. And we have no reason from from what we've seen of him on the field to expect that he can't get three, four receptions a game for 50 yards. And, and what he can, he can do more than that because he's a deep threat as well. He might pop in a few touchdowns, a few long balls. Um, and really, there's nothing to say his ultimate upside has lessened from what it was when he entered the league. Um, so I think he's an intriguing flyer. And for, for the price I'm getting at him for, it's, it's virtually nothing. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to have almost 100% saturation on my rosters with Paris Campbell. Yeah, and for a player like that, like I, I'm not gonna hate on it, right? Like, like it, it's so cheap to try to get 100 percent of a player like that, and third round picks are really just like sweeteners and trades and dart throws of players that you hope work out at some point. Um, you know, like like Paris Campbell has not has not played a lot in his career. I I will say that I think his long term upside has gone down significantly. He he's been good. He's been fine when he's played, but he hasn't like. He hasn't flashed any elite numbers. Um, obviously, coming back from injury and working into the offense, like I'm basically writing that off. Um, I, I think it's just kind of logical to think that the high-end outcomes are unlikely at this point. But listen, Matt Ryan, he's going to throw the ball a lot, even in Indianapolis. He likes his slot guys, and I think Paris is going to play a lot of the slot, just given the other players they have on that team. He's really the only option. Could he have a Russell Gage season of, you know, 60 70 catches for 800 yards and four or five touchdowns yeah fine and that's a wide receiver you know four and a guy you can play in some weeks and for a third round pick i i think that's fine um i mean we saw what devin singletary did last season and he's a player that even when he was the only running back on that team basically um he wasn't a guy that you wanted to start now now he had some good games but you know, it's clear that, that Cook is the future there, and I, I totally get it. Like, even if Cook gets injured, even if Zach Moss gets injured, Devin Singletary is kind of a desperation play, um, and that's kind of what Paris Campbell is, so I, I got no problem with that there. Um, yeah, my question for you is, what have you seen from his actual play that makes you think he can't ultimately become what you did when he entered the league? 
I mean, mostly, and again, I, I totally understand the context with this of the fact that he's coming in and out of the game and he's injured a lot, but last season was the only season where he actually played a decent number of games, um, and he was fine. You know, he had he had, he had 16% target share. Um, he had six deep targets, which is nice, but he didn't do a whole lot with it, right? He, he had 27 catches a game. He had 160 receiving yards on 20 targets. He's been fine, and, like, uh, these samples are almost too small for me to care. And when I've seen him, he looks, he looks good, but it, it's tough to believe a player who has suffered injuries like this is going to be as good as they were. And it doesn't look like he's been as good as we thought he could be coming out of college. Um, looking back at that 2018 Buckeyes team, you know, Paris Campbell was good. He had 1,000 yards receiving, um, but that team had no one else on it, right? They, they had Terry McLaurin, who was still a year from declaring. Um, but everyone else on that team... Uh, no, different. No, McLaurin came out the next year. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Sorry. 2019 draft is, uh, occurs after the 2018 college season. My bad. Um, you're right, same draft class, and he, he did outdo McLaurin, but I, I think that says more about McLaurin being, um, I don't know if it's underutilized or just not as good in college, but, I mean, McLaurin wasn't even the second receiver on that team. There were two other receivers who had more receptions than him. So I, well, McLaurin came into the league and, and produced as a complete shock to everyone. Exactly. So I'm not going to use the fact that Campbell was better than McLaurin in college to say that he could be better now, but... I think it's a worthwhile flyer, and that's all it costs. It's it's the same thing that I essentially am doing with guys like uh, Gerald Everett, right? Like a guy who I can pay a tiny bit more than market, and it really doesn't matter, and who I think you know could be good and be a you know low end starter, you know, uh, bi week option. Right. Like what I see with Paris Campbell is I'm I'm essentially putting no reliance yeah. on him giving me anything no I, i'm expecting him to be nothing knowing that if he if he hits it could be ty hilton with the likely outcome being probably mediocre to bad bench depth yeah and yeah he, he for, if, if he's the wide receiver eight on your team why not yeah and exactly. we've probably honestly spent more time talking about him than he deserves at this point so uh, why don't we move on to talk? Big trade. Yeah, there we go. Uh, to tell me what you just did. Well, do you want the big Paris Campbell trade, or do you want the big DeAndre um, Swift trade? Um, let's get into the big Paris Campbell trade actually first, because I, I I'm interested in talking about these two quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, if we're saying big, Paris Campbell was not the center of this deal. No, Paris Campbell was not the centerpiece, but he was the centerpiece for my heart. Um, so <laughs> I traded away Kirk Cousins and Captain Kirk, uh, sorry, Christian Kirk, <laughs> uh, for Mac Jones and Paris Campbell. And my reasoning behind this was, you know, I really hate mediocre mid-30s quarterbacks. I, I, we talked about this on, in our trade negotiation um, podcast last week, where we both value having a young quarterback too that is stable and you can pencil in as a piece of your roster. Um, Kirk Cousins has been that guy, you know, like he's been that quarterback too. You can plug in and forget and, and he'll produce at, you know, well above his value. Um, Mac Jones is now that guy and Kirk Cousins is old and what happens to old mediocre quarterbacks is, uh, you know, they get replaced. Um, or they're under constant threat of replacement. And so 
I can't sit here and tell you that Kirk Cousins is going to be a starting quarterback in the league in three years. I can tell you that about Mac Jones. Mac Jones is not going anywhere for three years, not going anywhere for ten. Um, so to me, that longevity difference is massive. And yes, you might say Kirk Cousins is better this year, and he very well may be. He certainly has better weapons. Um, and I would say that the Vikings are more likely to pass the ball than the Patriots. But how long is Kirk Cousins going to be there? And uh, I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. So I, I do value that longevity enough to part with Christian Kirk for what I attributed to Paris Campbell was one-third. Um, and what I view Christian Kirk as is, you know, probably like a 2-2 two, two to 2-4 two, range of this past draft class. So a Rashad White to a George Pickens value on Christian Kirk. Um, so what do you think about that? So I, I'd like to touch on what you're talking about with these quarterbacks because I, I think it's incredibly important. Um, and it's important to remember that this isn't only about how many points they're going to put up in the 2029 season because that's always the response I get. 2029 season? Yeah, that's because what you just argued is Mac Jones is going to be good after Kirk Cousins isn't starting. Now, a lot of people say, why, are you, why do you care about seven years from now? Your league might not even exist. Time value of money. It's so far away. Who gives a shit? What matters is value now, and people value now longevity. So the fact that Kirk Cousins has no upside in his value, basically the peak of where Kirk Cousins is value, he's been a seventh-round startup pick for the last you know, four or five years. The best he could move up is if they acquired, let's say, a Devontae Adams type guy. He could make which the they're do. which they're probably not going to do. But I'm I'm just saying hypothetically, in the you know two percent chance that happens, he could make a jump to Derek Carr's level, which is now like round four of a startup draft. Which you know should he be there? Probably Derek not. Not going round four. Maybe round five. Right? He's going around where Mac Jones is. Um, and, and that's his ceiling, and that's only if something extraordinary happens. What's more likely is that he slowly goes down, you know, one startup round a year until he drops off. Because the fact is, is he is a good, not great quarterback, and as you said, that doesn't really uh, leave much uh, career safety for him. The thing with Mac Jones is, is he, if he has one breakout year, he's a top two-round startup pick and worth three times what Kirk Cousins is worth. So... It, it's just, and you know, that doesn't need to be his top 2%. Maybe that's in his top 10% of outcomes or 20% of outcomes. It just depends what you think of Mac Jones, but it's definitely possible. And it's not possible for Kirk Cousins. And their floor to me in value is basically the same. And their floor in points this year, yeah, Kirk Cousins is higher, but it's not going to make a big difference. It's going to be two fantasy points a game. Um, and maybe it's nothing. You know, I, I personally am biased. I think Mac Jones could be better than Kirk Cousins this year. And I think as soon as he gets good weapons, he will be better than Kirk Cousins. So I, I love that aspect of the deal. Um, in terms of the value that you gave up to make that upgrade, um, to me that value- I'd like to pose it to you in startup form. Yeah. So like if, if we're saying that Kirk Cousins is a sixth or seventh round uh, startup pick and Mac Jones is a fourth or fifth startup pick, mm -hmm. you're essentially trading an 11th round startup pick to move up approximately two rounds yeah which and which i would i would almost always do at that range yeah yeah not not talking about 2023 picks because there's no way to actually measure the value of those right now in terms of moving up in the draft but traditionally 
to move up two rounds, it would cost you probably a first, a future first. And I can't, I can't say an 11th round pick is worth a first. No, no, it's not worth a first. No, absolutely not. And like, uh, I mean, to me, if I was on the, if I was on the cousin side of this deal, I, I don't get why I, I don't get why I would take cousins and Christian Kirk in this deal. I think a lot of that has to do with, I don't understand, um, First of all, Cousins only has two years left on his deal. Um, after that, he only has a $12 million dead cap hit. They could they could get out of this when he's 36 years old in two years. And then he's going to be on the Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, new team every year. Maybe they bring in a rookie to compete with him. Uh, a guy who's just not going to hold any dynasty value and you know isn't, isn't, a good, isn't as good of a quarterback as a guy like Matt Ryan ever was. And Christian Kirk, to me, you know, he's that same wide receiver I was talking about last week where he's a good player, he's useful, and he's going to put up, you know, 70, 80 catches, 900 to 1,000 yards, and that's useful, but it's just so replaceable. Like, like you could spend three-thirds and buy three Paris Campbells, and one of them's going to turn out to be that, right? Like, it's just a guy that you can replace. So if I was on the Kirk Cousins side of this deal receiving him, I would ask for a player... Uh, with either more upside than a guy like Christian Kirk to uh, make up that gap, or I would ask for a player um, who was just like better, older, and performing now. Like even a guy like Adam Thielen uh, would would kind of make more sense if you want to get that stack. I'm not saying I would do that. T- to be honest, I would need almost a uh, as you said a 2023 first is kind of hard to compare to right now. But I would say almost like a random 24 first in value to move from cousins to from Mac to cousins. Yeah. I, I agree with most of what you're saying other than, you know, I do think that the Kirk cousins floor of points for this season is, it's greater than two oh. points difference from Mac. Okay. Um, but that doesn't really sway me because I, I do value upside and longevity more than current floor points. Yeah. Um, Especially when it comes to my quarterback, too. Um, the other thing I would say that I do disagree on is Christian Kirk. Um, I think his range of outcomes is very wide. What we should expect, I think the middle part of what we should expect from him, like let's say his 20th to 80, 80th percentile of outcomes, is, is fairly known and agreed upon by most people. The thing is, is I, think, I think we didn't really get to see... Christian Kirk highlighted in Arizona's offense ever. He's always been an afterthought. He's always been a secondary wide receiver. He's been fairly injured throughout his career. But he's a young guy that just got a ton of money and is tied to Trevor Lawrence. And we, we still have to remember, Trevor Lawrence was viewed as this phenomenal prospect coming in. And if he actually lives up to that, his number one receiver is going to be Christian Kirk, at least this year. Well, not, may, may, maybe. I mean, I, I think we disagree in just how wide receiver usage is determined. Like, Christian Kirk has had all the opportunity in the world to be highlighted. Last year, he played half the season without DeAndre Hopkins. The the Would only other receiver... Anybody on the Jacksonville offense has even come close no. to Christian Kirk's current level of play. You're right. Not... They, not you're right, they haven't, but if Christian Kirk is the wide receiver one on that offense, it's going to be like he was last year, where he was technically the wide receiver one on that offense, but he only had 980 receiving yards. Like, I, I guess I just don't see that 80th and 90th percentile outcome where he's really killing it 
like you do, I, I think even if he's the best player, it's going to be like Jacoby Myers last year. It's going to be like Christian Kirk last year where he's a good player and he's the number one by default, but he still only had an 18% target share. Like he's just not, I just don't think he's that dude. Um, and, and that's, that's fine. I mean, we'll, we'll see. And I'm excited for his opportunity. Money matters. He's going to get every opportunity in the world, but I'm just not sure there's upside. Aside from the money aspect of them trying to make that contract worth it, worth it, which uh, they also got a lot of pushback on, you know, like I think organizations that get that type of pushback tend to force the issue. But beyond that, there was a usage thing in Arizona that I don't expect to be the case in Jacksonville. Even though Christian Kirk was the de facto wide receiver one, he was not on the field like a wide receiver one. There were many, many passing plays, he was not on the field. Key snaps. And and at in Jacksonville, when he is by far their best receiver, unless if LaVisca Chanel comes through, I'm still believing. Um, <laughs> he, he's going to have more opportunities. So 980 yards with worse usage. Yeah, I, I, I get that. But his target rate, which only looks at the place he was on the field, was only 21%, which was 53rd in the league. Like, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And it is good to go be in Jacksonville where there's a lot of opportunity, but I still do see a lot of passes to the running backs. They got Ingram and Arnold in there. I think there's going to be a lot of passes to Marvin Jones on the outside. We'll see what Chenault can do. They brought in... What are going to be in slot? They brought in several other receivers. Well, that was actually my next question for you because he played a lot of sn- slot last year. About half of his... Uh, Christian Kirk played about half of his snaps in the slot last year. Uh, actually, at the 13th highest amount of slot snaps in the league. Um, so I, I think a lot of his snap rate had to do with him only being on the field in three or four wide receiver sets. Do, do you like him in the slot, or do you think uh, he can win outside? So, like, if I was coaching Christian Kirk, I would use him like Tyler Lockett. Like, yeah. I would use – like, he's, to me, a bigger Tyler Lockett. He's a good route runner. He's fast, but he's a, a really solid receiver. Um, he does the slot role very well, but there's no reason he can't beat people on the outside. So I kind of use him as a little bit of a rover. Okay. I like that. And, and you know, maybe they will. They have a lot of versatility. Obviously, Marvin Jones is that prototypical jump ball guy on the outside. But between Chenault and Kirk, and I forget the guy's name from Dallas that they signed, but they, they got a lot of options there. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. Um, so after spending a bunch of time talking about trades we weren't planning to talk about, uh, let's move on to talk about another trade uh, uh, that you made. Um, you traded DeAndre Swift, a guy that you might be higher on than anyone I know, uh, for Kenneth Walker and J.K. Dobbins. Now, I, I know you're also way higher on them than market, but it, it's unusual to see you. I, I often tell you it's hard to make trades with you because you already own all the players you love on most of your teams. So yeah. what what compelled you to trade Swift? Was the return just too good? Are you changing your stance on him? What was your thought process here? No. Um, this was a, a little bit of a gut check uh, and also a trade for roster construct. I wanted to get in the realm of what I think DeAndre Swift's value is, although the way I view DeAndre Swift is, I, to be honest, I think this is just a fair deal. And uh, it's, it's tough because I wouldn't trade an early – I wouldn't trade a fourth and a fifth for an early second. I think that's a, a lot to give up. And 
you know, J.K. Dobbins and, and Kenneth Walker really go around the 4-5 turn in startups. You might get lucky and get them a little later in the fifth. I've seen J.K. Dobbins slip all the way to the to the sixth when you have a RB at first league and they're worried about injuries. But to me, that's more rare than common. Um, so at best, you're trading a fifth and a sixth for an early second in a startup. And that's a lot to give up. Uh, I like doing trades where you're you're trading down and picking up a first. Um, so, for example, a like last year you could have done like a Dalvin Cook for for Josh Jacobs in the first. Um, this I think is a similar type deal, except the player you're giving up is a high end young piece, DeAndre Swift. You're getting J.K. Dobbins and what is a top five pick in the 2022 class. Um, I think DeAndre Swift's projected usage and projected role are both way better than J.K. Dobbins and Ken Walker. You know, these are two players that most people think are run-first running backs. In J.K. Dobbins' instance, people are worried that Lamar Jackson's also a touchdown nerf for his game. And Ken Walker, people are worried about the elite Rashad Penny becoming that bell cow in Seattle and putting Ken Walker on the bench and you know, fading into irrelevancy with Pete Carroll's crazy, bonkers mentality. Um, for me, this this team had no running backs. I had essentially Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Swift, Ronald Jones, and Damian Harris. Um, I had a lot of good receivers. I have like Metcalf, Waddle, DJ Moore, but I didn't want to move those guys, right? Like, I essentially wanted to get running back depth without breaking up my receiver core. And I also needed to use my receivers potentially in trades to get quarterbacks, my quarterbacks within. So how was I going to get running back depth without giving up anything else in any other position? Yeah. And the only way to do that was to give up DeAndre Swift. I wasn't going to part with Jacobs. My return wouldn't have been good enough. Um, but DeAndre Swift, I was able to get two high-end young players that have upside and room for value growth. And I gave up a player that, you know, has no room for real value growth. He's already viewed by consensus as a top five running back, and I see no world where he passes Jonathan Taylor. And um, and the thing about J.K. Dobbins versus, like, uh, actually, I'll start with Swift first. Swift, he's, there's a void at the running back position that's incredibly important right now. Basically, Jonathan Taylor is the only running back in the first three years of his career who has proven to be very, very good and is locked into the number one role. And you can make arguments about other running backs, like, you know, Najee and Swift are probably locked into that role, and there are aspects of there are aspects of the he's not in his first three years anymore. There are aspects of their games that are very good, but there are many holes to point in the profiles of Swift and Najee to this point. Um Javante is my guy. He's going to have a split workload, and he's never proven it over, you know, more than one game starting, really. Brees Hall, we know the problems with, and then you get the McCaffrey, Mixon, Dalvin, Eckler, Saquon group, which are all older. So this void has artificially pushed DeAndre Swift up, and I'm high on the player. I think he's a very good player, but he's the type of guy that over the last, you know, five years of playing Dynasty, to me, he's like an end-of-round-two startup guy. He's maybe like an RB6 in an average, you know, dynasty landscape. 
And after next year's draft, maybe he will be around RB6. But it's just the void at the top of the position that pushes him up. And if he was an RB6, what you basically are trading for is two high-end RB2s in Dynasty. J.K. Dobbins right now is going around the 15th guy off the board, and so is Kenneth Walker. Interestingly, about two months ago, they were both going as more like the 10th and 11th guys off the board, so you're doing a good job buying low. And what I like to do when I'm trading one asset for two is think, could, could each of these assets be, be worth more than the one asset I'm giving up in a year? And I think it's possible. Like, and I know it's like could is a very uh, kind of tenuous thing to say, but like I really think that both of these guys have high upside. J.K. Dobbins, I think, is unbelievably underrated last year. His injury is not that big of a deal anymore for a running back. People think Lamar is going to steal touches and touchdowns. First of all, Lamar doesn't score that many touchdowns at all. It's very weird. But rushing the ball, he's not a big touchdown scorer. Um, and I think that's important. J.K. Dobbins had nine touchdowns on only 134 touches in only 15 games his rookie year. Um, by the way, Lamar has nine touchdowns in the last two seasons. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's had 14 for those counting at home. Um, and the other thing is J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I know. J.K. Dobbins has had 18 catches on 24 uh, targets last year, and he only played 46% of the snaps. So. J.K. and you're going to say, yeah, well, the Ravens play a lot of running backs and they had good third down running backs uh, or they weren't playing him on third down. That's true, but he's proven he could do it. And they don't have any third down running backs now. Gus Edwards, that's not his mold. I know they like Tyler Batty, but he's a sixth round pick. And at the end of the day, J.K. Dobbins is a more talented player than him and could easily steal that third down work. So Tyler Batty, like I got to say this about him. I I know you love that guy. Yeah, but but he is essentially the perfect backup running back for J.K. Dobbins because his yeah. game is J.K. Dobbins' game. It's just a smaller, just less explosive version. Yeah. And, and I, you know, there's the injury issue. Ian Rappaport said J.K. Dobbins might not play week one. J.K. Dobbins uh, respectfully disagreed to that, so we'll see who's right. Um, but ultimately, Dobbins I... has been a guy that a lot of people have been panic-selling. You know, he used to be a guy you I think need to he, pay two first for. Yep. And now you you might get him for eight. Like, I can't talk about 23 first. I really have no way to gauge their values. Everyone either views them super highly. But you could potentially their- get J.K. Dobbins for a guy like Cam Akers. Maybe pay a little bit on top of a guy like David Montgomery. Um, I think I think that's right. I think you can get Dobbins plus for Acres. I think too. I think you can pay a little bit on Gibson to go because pe- a lot of people are scared of Gibson's timeshare, and you can pay a little on Gibson to get Dobbins. I would say uh, a Miles Sanders and two seconds might land you J.K. Dobbins. Like all of these, there's so many ways to get him because yeah. nobody's comfortable with. Him even playing the first go to a win now team go to a win now team sell them either james connor or leonard fournette or ezekiel elliott or aaron jones and a little bit and you might be able to get five years younger and not really get any worse it's it's something to look at right now i will say like i am concerned for jk dobbins this season i think he'll be usable like i think he'll be a good flex play but i don't think we're gonna see Top end RB two, RB one type performances from him because I do think they're going to ease both him and Gus back in. Not overwork either. They really, really, really like Dobbins, and I don't think they want to screw his career up. 
and that will impact his usage this year. That being said, like when you have an opportunity to get this quality of an asset, this caliber of an asset for the price that we're now able to get him, it's almost like a no-brainer. And, 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 and like I was saying earlier, like I could really see Dobby, Dobbins being ranked above Swift next year. Dobby. Dobby. Um, I'm Dobby's not saying it's likely, and I think he's got you know a lot of ground to make up, but Dobbins, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room in his ceiling right now. Um, well, I mean, like the big difference between DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins is one has been prolific in the past game and one has been prolific as a rusher. Yep. You know, DeAndre Swift has is a phenomenal route runner. He's great in space. He's just been, he's been very very inefficient on the ground. Yep. Like there's no way around it. He's not been a good runner between the tackles. His tape uh, hasn't been which, great on like, the ground. He's had some flash I mean, plays, like, but his decision making's been kind of meh. Yeah, I mean, like it, it. To me, that's upside for DeAndre Swift in terms of actual performance because you know, like before he got hurt last year, he was a top ten running back in PP, uh, points per game, and that was with like very, very much of a split backfield, bad, bad rushing performance. J.K. Dobbins has been amazing as a rusher. He just hasn't been used as a passer, but based on his passing performance, he could be a pass catching back. I don't know if he'll be used that way. I don't know if the Ravens offense will be used that way um, or will work out that way. We'll see. But I don't see any cap on J.K. Dobbins' ability to perform in the pass game. I I would push back on the fact that J.K. Dobbins will be better than DeAndre Swift. I don't think that's going to happen um, or more valuable. But I do think we could see next year J.K. Dobbins as a third-round startup pick rather than a fifth or sixth. And that's what he was last year before the injury, right, where all the all the concerns were still there other than the injury. And maybe once the injury uh, gets better, you know, it, you know, he can return to that third-round value. I think it's more that they would meet in the middle. Like, I, I don't think J.K. Dobbins is ever going to be a – high second round startup pick but and and i'm also not saying that i expect this at all like not at all because looking at it from the swift perspective i could see making this move if i had a stack team and i had dobbins and walker you know i push come to shove i don't know if i'd make it just because i don't know i if i believe in swift enough but um it's a totally valid move to make and i don't blame whoever made it if if you gave me the chance to get like a wide receiver who's like maybe a tight end who's going in that range or a wide receiver like swift usually goes as like in startup drafts after the first 15 16 picks after jefferson chase dak pitts come off the board it's really after the first 11 picks maybe it's kind of a mess that i hate picking in um if i could get one of the top 11 guys instead of where i have swift i would do it um but, you know, it's a pretty valid trade either way. Uh, I don't think we need to talk too much about Kenneth Walker just because we've talked a lot about him recently. All I'll say on him, and I, I don't know if you agree with me, is ignore everything you're hearing. Of course Rashad Penny is the starter. Like, have you ever seen what Pete Carroll does? This is an old-style NFL coach. He believes in making a rookie earn it, and that's fine. Kenneth Walker will earn it because he's better than Rashad Penny. So... I'm not worried about this at all. The same little blurb where a beat writer said that Rashad Penny was the starter also said that Kenneth Walker would be the main receiving back. So, like, you can literally take whatever you want out of that quote, so I'm going to take nothing out of it. I, I, I take nothing out of every beat Me reporter's too. reports. Don't I, listen I to what you hear. I have not a reliable beat reporter ever, like, at all. 
And the worst of them is the guy in Miami, uh, Omar. Oh, yeah. He literally knows nothing. Yeah, no, I know. But uh, <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm going to say about Rashad Penny is this. I mean, like, I have seen the most absurd takes on him. Rashad Penny is elite because he, he was the best running back over a six-week period. So I'm like, okay, let, let me look at the six-week period. And, man, the, the numbers are off the chart. And then you look a little bit and you see what teams he played. It's literally the worst defenses ever. And then you look at the average rushing yards for running backs against those defenses. And Rashad Penny performed better than them, but it wasn't by a lot. He essentially did what every running back did against those defenses. And, you know, you look at the tape. He's running through wide open holes. He's not doing anything special. Rashad Penny's never done anything special. He's a very mediocre player. <laughs> he's always hurt. And he's not going to stay. Like, if he stays on the field as a 26-year-old running back with all the injuries he's had throughout his career, good for him. I highly doubt that will be the case. Kenneth Walker's better all around. Yeah. He's got fresher legs. He will win out, just as you said. I'm not worried about it. And even if Kenneth Walker doesn't play very much, let's say Kenneth Walker gets 150 touches this year. Not a lot, right? That prevents Rashad Benny from being at RB1, so get that out of your head. Number two, I would be shocked. And number three, that wouldn't change my opinion on Kenneth Walker because what you said, Pete Carroll has his ways. He's an old-style coach that plays the veteran. And, you know, it says a lot about Kenneth Walker if he does take over. It says very little about him if he doesn't. And, and by the way, Kenneth Walker, I could see very similar to Rashad Penny. Uh, sorry, not to Rashad Penny, to J.K. Dobbins as far as a rookie year, right? Over the first... Uh, what was it? Over the first six weeks of the season of J.K. Dobbins' rookie year, he had zero games with 10 or more touches. Over the last nine games of the season, he had 10 or more rushes in uh, all but one of those games. So it, that could very well happen, and he finished the season with 130 carries, and he was a reliable RB2, if not better, throughout the second half of that year. Um, the other thing I'll say, just yeah, and just to bring some just to bring some numbers to, uh, to what you were saying, um, Rashad Penny, in his last six starts, four of them, he went over 130 rushing yards. That was against the Texans, Bears, Lions, and Cardinals. Those teams ranked uh, ranked uh, 19th, uh, 31st, 32nd, and 26th. So all bottom half and three of the uh, bottom seven, including the bottom two teams. So you're completely correct. Penny looked good. They were wide open lanes. I'm not counting on it. Um Moving on to another running back. You can, go, you can go and look at his like 30, 40 yard runs where he is always caught from behind. It's wide open. It's, you can take a Mack truck through those things. Yep. They're unbelievable. Mike Davis's thighs could fit through those holes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about another running back who's been in the news for uh, not looking so good recently. Um, Leonard Fournette apparently weighs 260 pounds. Uh, the biggest surprise to me was that he didn't already weigh 260 pounds because I've seen this guy run and it, it looks like he's playing at the beach, uh, just like running through sand. Um, I think Leonard Fournette is shit. I've always thought he's shit. I understand why he's been valuable as an asset because he had first draft capital and then, you know, Brady always volume. picks his guy. It's but volume. It's volume. But the thing about... Uh, and and I want to get into talking about Leonard Fournette versus Rashad White because 
I was just looking at uh, at uh, some drafts earlier, and Leonard Fournette is still going three to four rounds above Rashad White in startup drafts. Leonard Fournette is basically going as the equivalent of you know a late first, and you could get White as you know an early second, sometimes as late as like two o five. I think that's incredibly asinine. Uh, Leonard Fournette has not been efficient for a very long time. Uh, Ronald Jones got consistent opportunity last year until he absolutely threw it away. They're going to give Rashad White drives. That that that's how they run the offense there. They're going to give Rashad White drives, and I, Leonard Fournette is not very good. And they need to win a Super Bowl. And the one thing that Brady needs his running backs to do is catch the ball. And Rashad White just had arguably the most prolific receiving season in the last like decade. So I get the idea that he did it when he was 23 and a half years old, and he's almost 24. Talking about Rashad White. But Leonard Fournette hasn't been good for a long time. He's certainly not getting better. He's 260 pounds. And Rashad White could be your starting running back in Tampa Bay and a top 15 running back in two months. So as, as we just said, I'm not going to contradict myself. I don't care about beat reports. But what I do care is what my eyes tell me. And I'll tell you, I saw a video of DeAndre Swift and... Leonard Fournette and a couple other players running on the tra- treadmill side by side, and we can look it up. Everybody's flying, and it looks like Leonard Fournette's about to pass out going like five miles an hour slower. <laughs> he looks so out of shape, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. He got that contract, the three-year contract, and he's had, he has a ton of miles on his leg. At some, at some point with these heavy workload running backs it really catches up to their legs and if they're not going to put in the work they're not going to the, the results aren't going to be there so you know I, I like you do not like Leonard Fournette as a player um, I I was shocked that he was able to get done what he did last year because I didn't think he looked particularly good last year but his numbers were fine um, I think that it's one of those things where he's big enough that or he was big enough last year where he's able to fall forward and it worked out. But when you take away a little bit of a little bit of what he had left, that can make all the difference in the world, and it could make him a completely terrible asset, completely terrible player. And uh, well, Bruce isn't there anymore, so we don't really know how the decision making is going to go. We know Bruce loved Leonard Fournette. Um, I don't know. In terms of Rashad White, I do think that this creates an opportunity for him to get on the field more. As you said, he could become that premier pass catching get back. I always have trouble projecting a rookie to take over when the incumbent received a lot of money. Yeah, that's right. And Leonard got a good contract, and uh, he can pass black. He, pass block and that's arguably the most important thing for Brady and he can catch as well I mean I, I personally really like those qualities uh, for white as well um, you like I, his pass blocking I do I like his pass blocking a lot um, I mean I, I, l- l- let me just tell you a few of my a few of my notes from Rashad white um, I had him as my RB2 um, in this class sorry my RB3 in this class um, after Holland Walker um, I actually had him as my RB2 in terms of my film grade uh, after only Kenneth Walker. I, I like his film more than Brees Hall. Um, I don't really care if you guys don't. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I know I might be really dumb, but Rashad White also had the uh, highest PFF run grade in the class. Um, he was uh, top five in the class in yards after contact per attempt, missed four tackles per attempt. 
Um, but what was really impressive was his receiving work. Um, his work in the receiving game was just just outstanding. Um, his ability you know what to catch screens and make moves. And what I love is he catches the ball and he doesn't need to look it in, right? Like his head is up and he is really good in space. Like it's, it's not DeAndre Swift because they have a different game, but there's a reason that uh, – that Rashad that Rashad White had just got an insane number of uh, receptions last year in college. Um, he had uh, sorry, I'm having trouble finding this. He had a 19% target share as a running back in college. His first full year as the starter, he had four he had 43 receptions for 450 yards. First of all, that's a pretty damn good uh, yards per completion, and that's because he can make people miss in space. Um, he's just a very good player. Um, he had a very circuitous route. We've talked about him in the past, but I, I think he's better than Fournette this season. It might take a while for Tampa Bay to figure that out, but I think they will. Um, and, and Fournette's contract. Are you contract, better for fantasy or better in real life? I think he's better in real life. I don't think he's better for fantasy because I think it'll take Tampa a little while to figure that out. But, I mean, Tampa can get out of uh, Fournette's contract for only five million next offseason and only one million the year after that. So it, it's it's just not that bad of a contract. That's interesting. That's that's good to know. Um, what is your comp for Rashad White? My comp for him has been David Montgomery. I think that he's got similar shiftiness to his game. David Montgomery's a pretty good pass catcher. Um, I, I think David Montgomery's one of the underrated real-life players because he's played behind such a bad offensive line. But I think Rashad White set up in a pretty good situation with uh, Tom Brady who likes passing to his running backs, and that Tampa Bay offensive line is pretty good. Yeah, I think so. I I, I, I think I, – I don't think David Montgomery is a good comp just because I think David Montgomery is a more physical player. Um, I, I, you I think Rashad White's physical? The – I think he's physical. I don't think in the same way. He doesn't lower his shoulders. He's trying to run through people with the lower half of his body, kind of using his hips to avoid people. To me, I think Montgomery's a little bit more of seeking contact with the shoulder. Um, I think, I mean, the number one go-to that you always hear is David Johnson. Uh, to me, he is not as explosive as, as David Johnson, which isn't, it's not a bad thing for him, right? David Johnson is one of you're talking peak David Johnson, not piano on his back, David Johnson. Exactly. He had a two to three year stretch where he was, you know, truly one of the elite running backs, and it was very impressive. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I, I just got a new computer. I'm having trouble finding my notes, uh, so I don't have a great comp for him now. But um, he, he's a good player, and I, I think he's going to be better than Leonard Fournette. Um, I'm proud of you for having notes. I'm winging it here. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm just trying to look back at my scouting notes, of which I have a bunch of, but uh, I've, had, uh, I've had some computer issues recently, so having some trouble there. Um, the, uh, uh, the next uh, comparison of two players I wanted to talk about was a question uh, submitted uh, by a, a guy I've communicated with on Twitter a whole lot, uh, Sam Eichenlaub. Uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, and I've, I've talked to him about a bunch of trades in the past, and he had a question about DJ Moore or Drake London um, in Dynasty. Um, I know that you're a DJ Moore fan. Um, to give a little bit of background to this, uh, I would say Drake London is valued slightly higher by the community, um, maybe by about a, uh, you know, a little between a second and a third, I'd say. Um, maybe even a little bit more, depending. Um, 
he goes, you know, maybe half a round to a round earlier on a startup, but, you know, it's pretty much the same tier. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I have those guys. Let me pull up my rankings. I have uh, Drake London 12th and DJ Moore 14th um, in the same tier. So I'm, I'm pretty much right uh, around consensus. Oh, you have, you have Drake London above him. I do. Um, it sounds like you don't, and I'd love to hear why. Uh, DJ Moore for me is a top seven receiver on my dynasty rankings. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, that hasn't changed much. I've always had him in the top nine-ish. I uh, moved him into the top seven. I'm still finalizing it. He'll he'll either be sixth or seventh. Um, I moved him slightly up with Baker because what Baker's done is give him an immediate boost now uh, and did not cut off his chance for a better quarterback in the future. And if Baker is still there in the future, it means... Baker did well, and that's a good thing for DJ Moore. So, um, overall, we have two players, incredibly talented prospects. The thing is, DJ Moore has been great in real life. I mean, if you put a couple more touchdowns on his reception totals and his yardage totals year after year, he would be a fringe wide receiver one, and this is all before the age of 25. Um, And he's done this consistently year to year to year with horrendous, horrendous quarterbacks. So imagine what he can do with a real quarterback and with some touchdowns. And before we say it's DJ's, DJ Moore's fault that he didn't get touchdowns, he accounted for essentially 25% of his team's receiving touchdowns um, since he's come to the team, at least in the past three years. So it's not a DJ Moore issue. It's his quarterback's problem, the quarterback's problem. And now that's clearing up. Drake London, for me, I like the player. Um, I'm worried about team overall number one that offensive line is brutal so whatever quarterback you put back there is going to struggle getting the ball out Um, number two their quarterback situation is terrible and we don't know what's going to happen in the future but we do know that if they replace them uh, replace their quarterbacks it's likely through the draft because they're rebuilding this team Um, it's not going to be some veteran that comes in and produces right out of the gate you'd have to bank on a rookie performing very quickly out of the gate um, in addition to that, I think Kyle Pitts is a lot better of a receiver. Uh, we've already seen Kyle Pitts play, and I think there's some crossover between the two styles that these two players have. Um, so when I have a lot of crossover, I, I lean towards fading the guy that I think's worse. And in that case, it's Drake London. Um, granted, this guy got picked in the top 10 picks. Uh, he's walking in as the best receiver on his team with nobody there to share targets with other than Kyle Pitts. So I think he's going to have a nice rookie year. The thing is, DJ Moore is already a great player. He's not old. He's not even in his prime. And so I don't think Drake London has more upside than DJ Moore. And he certainly doesn't have a better floor. And his situation isn't better. And can I predict that his situation, uh, that Drake London situation will get better than DJ Moore's in the near future, I'd say they have an equal percent chance of growing in an equal amount. (laughs) So for me, there's literally nothing on the Drake London side that would put him over DJ Moore for me, other than the fact that he's younger. And so I'm not going to risk that bus potential. I'm not going to risk the loss in floor. And if I'm not getting more ceiling, uh, or a better situation. Yeah, and that, that's totally fair. The one thing I'll say is he's 
he's five years younger. That's it's a lot. You're not getting two years younger. It's a whole different ball game. Drake London is oh, oh I guess his birthday's next week. Sorry, you're 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 four plus years younger. Um, so it's it's it is a big difference, and the way that Drake Lund like Drake London's numbers are absolutely off the charts. Like his production throughout college, his his target share was absolutely ridiculous. Like I didn't love his tape. I liked it a lot. I actually had it third in the class. Um, when I weighed in other factors, such as his production and his age, uh, he ended up being my wide receiver one in the class. Um, but to me, I, I view them as, like, I would just take Drake London because when in doubt, go younger. But they're in the same tier. So I, I don't hate it either way. Um, I do think Drake London has some upside that DJ Moore doesn't have. Like, I don't think DJ Moore can be one of the three best receivers in the league. And I don't think Drake London will do that. Certainly not. But I think that there's a higher chance just because we've seen DJ Moore be awesome, but we've also had have four years of DJ Moore not being like Justin Jefferson, which is fine. I'm not blaming him, but I'm just saying there's a little bit of that upside. Um, my my comp for DJ Moore has always been Stephon Diggs. Yeah, and 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 he could have a Stephon Diggs type yes. season easily if he got a Josh Allen type quarterback. I think last year. What we saw from DJ Moore's play last year, um, it, it was, for me, it looked like the best version of Stefan Diggs. And that was coming when he was 24, 25. Uh, so I think DJ Moore at his age, like there's still room for him to grow. Um, he's, he's not exactly the most consistent player at the high point. Yeah. And that will make a big difference in terms of just like getting big plays down and completed and also bringing in touchdowns. So I think DJ Moore has room to grow. I think people think of him as a wide receiver too because they don't fully look into how bad the touchdown situation was in Carolina. For yeah, receivers. it has been. So Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, there's also a second part of this question was, do you ever feel bad for uh, convincing someone to do a trade that you win by so much? Um, my short answer is no. Like, I'm sorry it's not my job to, uh, uh, to uh, humor your ignorance. Um, the one thing that I would say is that you can definitely get a reputation in a league. And if you're a shark and you're uh, – rude about it and uh you are disingenuous in trade discussions and then you know a bunch of people talk shit once it comes out publicly um it's not a good look for you and uh i personally you know don't want to be a dick to anyone um if i just win a trade that's fine but just don't be an asshole about it and realize that the trades that you make have repercussions on who's willing to do trades with you in the future you can get a reputation of only making deals that you win um I think that's a reputation of being good at fantasy, but that that's, you know, uh, he, neither here nor there. Um, I, I would just say don't be a dick, but also get the best trade you can, and I don't blame people for doing what they can. Um, but it helps. It's easier to make a trade if you look at the other person's team, really give some thought to saying, you know, here's how it might benefit you, um, things like that. Yeah, I mean, like, some people may not believe it, but most trades I put out, I do think about, I look at everybody's team. I'm, I'm applying my own thought process to it and, and how it could help them and how it fits their team. And sometimes they'll receive my offer and think I'm lowballing them. But, you know, it's important to re remember everybody has a different perspective on every player. And sometimes um, it is a low ball, and that's okay too. We send out yeah. a 
ton of trades. There's some thought. There's some trades I put, you know, 15 minutes of thought into. There's some trades I put uh, 15 seconds exactly. of thought into. Sometimes I just I want this player. I send a trade offer for him in every league for the same three players and just hope that one bites. It's fine. You can do that too. Yeah. So the worst thing that you can do is develop a reputation for sending out bad offers. Like we're talking about things that no one can uh, would accept like a, a Justin Jefferson and DeAndre Swift for like Michael Thomas and David Montgomery and two thirds like no one's going to accept that and if that's all you send out that's people are just going to get frustrated not want to deal with you that's going to shut the door for future negotiations but if you're making a genuine effort to make deals and you put some thought into it um, I don't think there's any issue with you know taking your shot at getting the guys that you want to get. You should be trying to make your team the best possible team. It's not your job to manage or make decisions for other owners. It's your job to put the best product on your online field. Yep, I agree with that. Um, all right, right, let's. Uh, we got a few more segments left, and I want to end with uh, some trivia. Uh, we should have brought this up earlier in the podcast, but we will be hosting a uh, – uh, a new startup draft. It's going to be our last of the off season, a uh, trading table special. Um, settings are pretty familiar for most people. Uh, Dynasty, Superflex, PPR, half tight end premium. Uh, it's going to be a slow draft, probably two to four hour timer on sleeper. Um, going to be $200 entry fee. Um, so if any, if anyone is interested in doing that, uh, please reach out to us on Twitter. Um, and we will also be having a trivia session at the end of this podcast, probably in about you know 15 minutes. Um, if you can DM either of us with whoever had both fifth most receptions from the running back position last season. Oh, no, 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 Jacob. I, I, got, a, I got a whole trivia set up for this. We got more than that. That, that also. Okay, that'll be part of it. That and gets a spot. We'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Uh, but anyways, we'll, uh, send us these trivia answers later. You'll have first dibs to a spot in the draft, um, and I'm going to have some fun quizzing Jacob. I, I, I put, put together five questions for him. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how he does. Um, okay. But before we get there, we got a few more comparisons to do. Uh, first of all, uh, Jacob, you had a question for me about your boy Jacobs and a player that is going ahead of him in Dynasty Drafts. Um, we know your answer, and I don't really want to hear you talk about Jacobs, but I, I, I'm open to taking your question. Yeah, so in, in the mold of what we've been talking about before, you know, the Dalvin Cook trade downs from last year, I think Derrick Henry is a guy that still holds value and is a good trade down piece. Uh, great running back, coming off a foot injury, but, you know, still projected for a ton of usage, top, top 10 production. Um, approaching an age where or is at an age where he's only going to lose value in Dynasty. So we want to. I want to hear what you have to think about Derrick Henry versus Josh Jacobs as an asset, what you think the market views them, or how you think the market views them, and how you would move between the two players. So that's very interesting. Uh, Derrick Henry is a guy that I think goes way earlier in drafts than you can ever get uh, trade value for him. Um, he's, there's a bunch of guys like this. I think Jerry Judy's one of them where there's usually one or two guys in the league who really value them until they realize what the market is actually setting them at. And it forces these players to be higher on, on a lot of these ranking systems and a lot of the startup drafts and ADP than I find you can actually get for them in the trade market. 
it's really hard to trade Derrick Henry because there's probably like two teams in your league who want him, right? It's like out of the best four teams in the league, one of them just doesn't like him because they had him a year he got hurt. One of them doesn't like him because they're an ageist. And maybe you can find a deal for the other two. But in startup drafts, Derrick Henry is still going in the fifth round um, and sometimes higher. And Josh Jacobs is going in the seventh round now. Um, I have Josh mostly Jacobs higher. Sixth. I find him mostly in the sixth. But okay. He, but, but, he, I, but you always I, take I, him. So he might fall later if you didn't always take him. You know, like I've gotten sniped recently. It's been very frustrating. I just got him at 7.3 in Scott Fishbowl, though. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I have uh, I have Derrick Henry a, a tier below Josh Jacobs. Um, Derrick Henry's going as the 15th running back off the board. Um, and I, I personally think that yeah, ahead of J.K. Dobbins and Kenneth Walker, um, I think that's insane. Derrick Henry is 29 years old. 29 years old. He is not going to have many years left. He already got hurt last season. He is coming off seasons, uh, four consecutive seasons of over 200 yards. There's a very popular theory uh, proven by statistics called the 1,800-yard cliff. Basically, no one is successful after 1,800 yards with like two exceptions. Sorry, 1,800 carries with like two exceptions. He's at 1,400. Uh, he's already getting there. Tack on the injury last season, and I'm just not interested in him at all. Um, he wasn't even very good last season is the thing. And I understand that he's an amazing player, but if he loses anything, he's basically done. He's never gotten work in the receiving game. I could really see Tennessee going into a rebuild, and he's solely reliant on volume. He's still going to have a great season. I, he's going to finish higher than Josh Jacobs, probably. But like, you're you're saving four years on this. It, I think it's a no-brainer to go Jacobs. I mean, to be honest, in Derrick Henry's nine games played last year, he had basically the same amount of carries as Josh Jacobs had in the entire season. Yeah, which is absurd. Um, the thing, but, with Derrick but he only had four point three yards per carry, which is which is almost a yard smaller than it was the previous year. The Titans are one of the oldest teams in the NFL, and they're a team that has been reliant on their running game and their defense. Their defense is getting worse, and most of those players are not, and they have not improved there at all. They lost A.J. Brown. People are stacking the box more than ever. I I, I think he's going to be in for, like, just a workhorse, volume-based season where he's still only going to get, you know, 18 receptions, and it's just not going to do much. You know, you know, I've kind of like this is the way I view Derrick Henry is he's kind of a two part player where he is this physical specimen that's just gigantic and strong and he wears you down. He beats into you play after play. He's getting you tired. He's getting you physically weakened. And then when you're caught slipping, he has this tremendous acceleration speed that yeah. he just takes off and then has 50, 60 yard plays. We see Derrick Henry long runs all the time the thing is is if he starts losing that acceleration after the hit he's not going to get the opportunity to take off he's just going to get hit by more defenders and that's where you're going to just see him completely crater now in the first half of games we already see this from him it's like two yards here three yards here and then the second half he's like six yards seven yards eight yards what happens when that stops Right. If he stops getting stronger as the defense gets weaker, I mean, he's he's averaging 3.3 yards a carry in his career in the first quarter. He's averaging more than 5.3 yards a carry per in his career in every other quarter. Like, 
he's a guy who gets better as the game goes on. He averages more more than a yard more per carry in the second half than the first. Like, And that's not how most running backs do it. Most running backs average less late in the game because they're getting those carries that are winding out the clock. But he's he's a specimen, and he's different. But maybe he's the guy that, that, pr- that proves all of history wrong. But uh, I don't think so, and I think the fact that he hurt his foot last year is just the beginning. Now, I got a few inquisitive questions here to guide our listeners. Number one, just forget value. Quality of asset, who would you rather on your team? Josh Jacobs or Derrick Henry? Uh, Josh Jacobs. Now, okay. Now, factoring in value, let's say you have Derrick Henry on your team. If you want to get a deal done, like you just want a yes, you don't want any negotiations, you just want a yes, what move are you going to make to switch from Derrick Henry to Josh Jacobs? I mean, if it came down to it, I would do it straight up. Um, okay. And, and, and I know that I could make that happen. And the thing is, is that I would be pretty ambiguous, uh, or, sorry, ambivalent between Josh Jacobs and a few other players. What I would probably do is I would trade Derrick Henry and get a player like uh, Marquise Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Chris Olave, Terry McLaurin, Sky Moore, anyone in that range of the late 20s wide receivers, if you send out eight offers, one of them will take it. Right. Now, let's stick with the Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry discussion. What do you think is realistic for you to get on a, as an add-on on top of Josh Jacobs for Derrick Henry? I think realistic is maybe... Like, I, I think what I would try to do is I would try to get Josh Jacobs in a 23 second for Derrick Henry and maybe throw on a 23 third or a, maybe a little bit less. I, 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 think, I don't think you're getting a 23 second and Jacobs, but I would try to, try to make something around that happen. Or, or a receiver I liked, like, uh, you know, David Bell, Rashad White, if you could get Rashad White for, and uh, Jacobs like for that. Henry and a third, I would love that. I like that. I think you can get a solid, uh, like a, a solid late first to early second from the twenty-two class. Like, uh, I think you could get Josh Jacobs and James Cook for Derrick Henry. I think you could get Jahan Dotson, uh, yeah, Sean White. I think possible. Yeah, I love um, all of those. I what my starting offer would be would be give me Josh Jacobs and a twenty-five first because I want that upper tier capital. I don't care if it's far away. And then if they say, no, I'm not giving a first, then I'd come in with a 23 seconds. See, I think you, you pushed know, too much there. Because if I got an offer uh, of Derrick Henry and any first for Josh Jacobs, I'm instantly declining and I'm blocking you. Like, I, I think that's going, I think that's starting a push too far. I would ask for. You think so? You're going to 2025? Yeah, because it's still a first, right? Like, you know, maybe, maybe I would go out to 25 and ask for a first and give them a second back right because i still love that value but like it just looks a little better but people it's still a first even if it's 25 and people are getting smarter a lot of these leagues you have to pay i mean maybe if it's illegal you don't have to pay and it's a guy who's gonna ditch but i I think that's a little too aggressive i would aim for like a running back in the 30s or a wide receiver in the 40s um and use that as a way to upgrade um one other interesting old versus young uh, player discussion that we wanted to talk about before we get to trivia here in a minute um, is Justin Fields versus Russell Wilson. Um, I recently made this trade essentially straight up. Um, well, I didn't, the trade wasn't straight up, but here's how I was thinking about it. Uh, just to give you an idea of the full trade, it was Russell Wilson 
A.J. Dillon, D.J. Chark, and a 2023 first for Justin Fields, Jared Cook, and Elijah Moore. So the way I thought of that was I prefer Russ to Fields. Um, I prefer A.J. Dillon to James Cook by a shit ton. And I do prefer Elijah Moore to an average first, but getting Chark in there, whatever, uh, getting the upgrades with uh, at quarterback and running back, it made it worth it for me to move off Elijah Moore. And I'm still getting a 23 first, so it's not like a bad thing. Um, this first is for a contender that is very shallow, so it's projected as late, but I, I think it has a lot of upside. Um, anyways, back to the Fields versus Russ argument. To me, I take Russ over Fields by, you know, Maybe, I, I don't know if I'd call it a tier, but um, I, I would do it in any league is the way that I would put it. Because um, I think Russ Wilson's floor is way, way higher. I think his ceiling is way, way higher for this year. Maybe not in the future, but for this year, ceiling way, way higher. And I think his longevity, his expected value of the longevity is higher. So Justin Fields could be a top six asset next year. Russell Wilson cannot be. So that that outside, it's kind of like the Drake London, DJ Moore argument. But the difference is, is that I think Russell Wilson can be a top six quarterback for the next three years. And I think Justin Fields could not be a quarterback in three years. So it, it's, it's just so much more safety and you're not losing upside. And I think Russell Wilson still has five or six years left. Um, to me, I'm taking Russell Wilson there. But but I've I've heard a few people I respect say that they would take they would trade Fields in a first for Russ, that I would not do. So, you know, I, I actually really like your argument, and I, I want to add to your argument and preface it with the fact that I am Fields over Russ. Um, another reason why I love Russ this year, and even in the coming years, is because Russ Wilson wanted out of Seattle so he could air the ball out. We've always heard, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. You know, he's got some nice weapons in Jerry, Judy, Cortland, Sutton. He's got running backs out of the backfield that can catch the ball. He's got Albert O, and they just drafted another nice tight end over there, uh, Dolchich. Um, Tim Patrick is actually a good player. Solid yeah. receiver three. KJ Hamler's hanging around even though he's nothing. They just have so about. many weapons. They could be really yeah. creative. I, I, I love really, the new offense they're installing there. I, I think they're going to let Russ cook, and I think he's going to make a damn nice meal. All I got to say is, like, I said this before. I generally don't like mid-30s quarterbacks. Uh, Russ Wilson's not like Kirk Cousins, where Kirk Cousins mediocre. Russ Wilson's elite. He's elite as a passer. He used to be mobile. Um, whether or not he is moving forward, I don't know. I doubt that he's mobile moving forward. That, to me, is worrisome. But his floor is still so high because he is a rock-solid, top-notch passer. Um, that being said, I, for me, Justin Fields, if I put him in the category, like I had Justin Fields over Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence. I had Justin Fields, um, I probably would have Justin Fields as a prospect higher than Young and Stroud. Like I think Justin Fields entering the wow. league was a tremendous prospect. Wow. I still think that. Um, he did struggle as a rookie, but he developed a lot. He, he really did develop. And I'm excited for his future. In terms of his rushing upside, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say Trey Lance has more rushing upside than Justin Fields. 
And I, I am way more comfortable than, with Justin Fields' arm than I am with Trey Lance's arm because while Trey Lance has a cannon, I at least know that Justin Fields was able to play legitimate collegiate competition with his arm. Uh, I don't know about that about <laughs> Trey Lance. So yeah. we'll see. Um, but when I talk about the, this top-notch, mobile, potential Konami co-quarterback, those are rare. I understand Russ's elite, but you got to give up an elite older guy if you're going to get that type of young talent. And for me, I'm just going to err on the, on the side of potential, potential value growth, uh, and the youth based on my comfort with what Justin Fields is as a prospect. If you're not comfortable with Justin Fields as a prospect, if you doubt that he can develop as a passer and a decision maker, then you should definitely never trade Russ Wilson for Justin Fields. But if you feel like I do about Justin Fields, I've, I have no problem shipping away the value of Russ for him. And you know that's backed up by their ADPs. They virtually go within five picks of each other. Yeah, yeah, and and I again, I think it's pretty close. Um, and I, I'm not, I would not move off uh, Russ. I would not move off Fields for Russ, um, kind of willy nilly, and pay up to do it. Um, but I straight up, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good move. Um, Fields like it's going to be hard for his value to increase too much, just because they're going to be so bad this year. Like I really am worried they're just going to be so bad. Um, it could uh, be. A few good, a few uh, compelling stats about uh, Justin Fields, though. Um, Justin Fields, out of uh, 31 quarterbacks last year with at least 250 attempts, um, he had the fourth highest uh, big time throw rate. Um, sorry, the second, uh, I guess he was tied for second. Uh, but the top six there, I'm sorry, let's just go the top nine there, uh, is Kyler Fields, Russ, Rogers, Stafford, Josh Allen, Derek Carr, Joe Burrow, and Tom Brady. Uh, that is a hell of a group to be in. He's showing at least some flashes there, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that he's not quite as good at. Um, you know, he's about mid middle of the pack in turnover-worthy plays. Um, his overall, he, he, you know, he wasn't great. You know, he's a rookie, but he, he was better he's than Trevor Lawrence that, last yeah, year. I know, and he's a terrible weapon still. But I, I, I like Dustin Fields, and I have hope for him. But I, I, I did yeah, not I have him not. above he's where I would have. I would not have him above where uh, above guys like Stroud or Bryce Young, so I, I I don't know about that. But um, I think it's time to move on to trivia. Let's talk about a uh, uh, just based on the stat we were just talking about. Yeah, I got I got five trivia questions for you, Jacob. Um, some of them have multiple answers, so it'll be a bit easier. Some of them don't. Um, I'm really bad at trivia. I'm gonna need you to take your hands off the keyboard or just tell me that you're not. We'll be cheating and looking this shit up. Um, My hands are up. All right. Uh, number one is a stat based uh, uh, on a few stats that I was just mentioning. So big time throw rate and uh, turnover worthy plays. There was one quarterback last year that was in the bottom two in big time throws and the top two in turnover worthy plays. So basically the worst of both. One quarterback in the top two of both those statistics. I I'm going to read you all the I'm going to read you. All, should I read you all the questions so you have time to think or you want to go one at a time? No, I want to go this this one. Okay. Do you have any ideas? Um, big time throws, limited, right? So La second to last, he was he was second to last, and then last in turnover or hot, most turnover worthy throws. Well, I'm eliminating Davis Mills 
from this list, even though the first part sounds right. He just oh. probably isn't the guy that makes turnover-worthy plays. By the way, and this was as a percentage of their total attempts, not raw number. Was it Tua? It was not Tua. No, because that would say that that Tua had a lot of turnover-worthy plays. I know. I just oh. wanted to be – I, I no. was wondering because was not you had Tua. a little smile on your face. No, um, it was not Tua. This is hard. Uh, it's a All great right. question. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, uh, and some of our fans can, look, can think of that a little bit. My next question. There, of all players that had at least 10 targets down the field, that's defined as 20 or more yards, air yards down the field. Of all wide receivers, Cooper Cup had the highest completion percentage of those attempts. Now, tell me any of the other players in the top six in terms of completion percentage of deep targets. I'm gonna let you think on that for a minute if you want. What about Deontay Johnson? Deontay Johnson was not there. I will give you a hint. It is two primarily slot players. It is one player who is no longer in the NFL. It is one player who you will never guess. And it is one player who is arguably the best big play weapon in the league. Monte Adams? Nope. Okay, we'll move on. Next question. <laughs> Two running backs last year had three targets more than 20 yards downfield. Who were they? Oh, uh, Kansas City running back, a running back, Daryl Williams. No, he had two. That's a great guess because he had that one insane catch. I know what you're thinking of. Okay, so my hint for you is one Aaron of them. Jones? One of them is a guy who you think is one of the best receiving running backs in the NFL, and one of them is a guy who is thought of as a wide receiver, in large part, until this year. Uh, can you repeat this question quickly? Yeah. Uh, two running backs got three or more deep targets last year. So 20 or more air yards down the field. What about Aaron Jones? Nope. He got two. It's not Josh Jacobs because he doesn't go that deep. Nope. Um Down. Try to think of try to think of the one who's a who's a wide receiver as well. Tony Pollard. He led the league with five. All right, you're not getting it. We'll move on. All right, next question. <laughs> of all running backs with a hundred plus carries, this running back was first in yards after contact per attempt, first in elusiveness rating, and first in yards gained on fifteen plus yard runs. As a percentage. Javante Williams. Javante was top five in all three of those stats. He was not number one. And I'll give you another hint. It's a guy we've talked a lot about this, or a decent amount about this podcast. Josh Jacobs? Nope. Think about the sample of this. Rashad Penny was this one. I'm going to tell you this one. Dude, that's so gross. Like, don't even bring that up. (laughs) 
I like that one because we were talking about cherry pick stats. I was looking at this earlier and I was like, holy shit, Rashad Petty's at the top of all of these. Okay, and this is a fun one. This is frustrating. I'm sorry. Hey, I think I, uh, I think I know the quarterback answer. Okay, who is it? Taylor Heineke. Heineke. No, but that's a good guess. That's a good guess, though. Taylor Heineke had some big time throws. No, he had some big time throws. It's a it's a quarterback who is not a starter this season, though. I can tell you that. Probably not a starter this season. Okay, last question, and then we'll go back to it. No, (laughs) okay. To put it this shortly, it's the best route runner in the league outside of players I'm about to name. But there were two players, or sorry. The top five players last year against man coverage, according to Reception Perception, one of our favorite sites, were Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown, and Justin Jefferson. No surprises there. And one more player who is outside of the top 15 in both redraft and dynasty. Who is this player? Well, the quarterback's got to be Jimmy G. Yeah, there you go. Ding, ding, ding. I got it. All right, I'm happy with getting at least one of these, even though it took me like eight guesses. Um, Good versus man coverage, not in the top 15. So that eliminates Deontay, right? Yep. Um, Deontay, by the way, was top seven in, in, I think he was sixth or seventh in that stat. So that was a good thought. Is it uh, a little guy or a tall guy? Medium. Under six foot? I think he's probably like six foot, six one. Let me check. Uh, he's six foot. Mm. Okay, let's go back through. Now that you've had some time to think, maybe you'll get on the second time. Okay, so question one you got was Jimmy G. Question two, of all players with 10 or more deep targets, of all wide receivers, Cup was first in completion percentage. Tell me any of the other five. And I told you two are primarily slot guys. One is in jail. One is arguably the best big play weapon. Ah, there you go. I said out of the NFL the first time, but I gave it away this time. Um, the other uh, four. I, I forgot Ruggs was in the league last year. It's been such yeah. a long time. He had, uh, he had this, I think legal the third. case is not looking good. He had the third highest completion percentage on deep targets last year. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, his legal case is taking a turn for the worst. They're admitting the, the, admitting the blood alcohol. Yeah. This, I don't see how he doesn't get time at this point. So no, nah, he's in trouble. The other guys, by the way, there were Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, Byron Pringle, and Debo Samuel. Byron Pringle. Nice. Yes. Debo was the guy I thought you'd the get. The number two receiver for the Chicago Bears this year. Let's exactly. go Darnell. Maybe why the Bears are going to suck. Um... Next question. Two running backs got three or more deep targets last year. One was one of your favorite running backs. The other was a guy who's often thought of as a receiver. DeAndre Swift? Saquon Barkley. Saquon. That's not surprising. Great. And the other one was Cordero Patterson. He's not a running back. He is? Um, He probably got those as a wide receiver. Next question. Yeah, that was a little bit of a cheap one. Next question was uh, the Rashad Penny question. 
Um, he ranked number one in a bunch of stats over a very small sample, but uh, still over 100 carries. And the final question, who is the top five receiver against man coverage that you have not thought of yet? Top 15, not a top 15 dynasty or redraft player, but I will tell you he's right around that level. Marquise Brown. No, but not a bad guess. He, he didn't do very well in reception perception, though. I, I, I'm not surprised he didn't do well in reception perception because he's not a great route runner, but I just figured that with his speed, he would get enough separation against man. Yeah. It's not Mooney. Mooney's under six feet. Um, it's not Pittman. It's not... Mm, oh, no, I asked who it was, not who it's not. I'm eliminating people in my head. <laughs> I know, I'm messing with you. All right, you want the answer? No. I got this. Not in the top 15. All right, give it to me. Terry McLaurin. You should Yo, with, Car- with Carson Wentz, Terry McLaurin can have a huge year. I'm telling you, he's a special player. Yeah. Really I agree. Anyways, that was fun. I'm sorry. Uh, those, those were hard questions. They were pretty niche statistics. Some of them were difficult, which is why I picked them. Um, but I, I think they're actually all interesting in their own way. Basically, Jimmy G sucks. Uh, I wanted to highlight Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, and Debo Samuel, how, how good they are deep uh, down the field. Um, I think the Saquon question was interesting to me. He didn't play a whole lot last year and still got three deep targets, and it sounds like he's going to get even more this year. Um, and Terry McLaurin's underrated, and I wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. I got three questions for you. Okay, go quick. quick. I got two minutes left. Traylon Burks or Deontay Johnson? Traylon Burks. Noah Fan or Cole Komet? Noah Fan. Paris Campbell or Jalen Ragor? Oh, Paris Campbell. Jalen Rager, I have dropped in several leagues that have 32 uh, roster spots on them. He just Rashad dropped. Penny or James Conner? James Conner. Dalvin Cook or Nick Chubb? Dalvin Cook. Marquise Brown or Elijah Moore? Elijah Moore. Marquise Brown or Amon Ross St. Brown? By the way, Elijah Moore by about 15 spots, and I'm not low on Marquise Brown. Nice. Marquise Brown or Amon Ra? Oh, God, they're back to back for me. Uh, I'm going Marquise. Okay. Rashad White or Tony Pollard? I've actually had to make this decision in a few startups recently. Uh, I think it was around the 11th or 12th round. Uh, I'm going Rashad White. Um, he's only a year and a half younger, which is weird. Um, but I think it's act, they're actually good comps for each other. Um, I'm going Rashad White there. Rashad White or Miles Sanders? Uh, it, it, if Miles Sanders is my second or third best running back, particularly if he's my second, I'm probably taking him. Um, I do think Rashad White has more upside and more upside to his value and even his points this year, but Sanders is way higher floor. Um, if I need the points, I'm going Sanders. They're 26th and 28th for me, or so same tier. Okay. Well, I think that's all I got for you, man. 
Those are good questions. I got to go call my boss. Uh, as a reminder to all of our listeners, uh, hit us up if you want in this league. I guess we gave the answer to the trivia, so you can just tell us you want in the league, and uh, first no, uh, first 10 people get in. Guess oh, fine. Who the fifth? <laughs> the running back who had the fifth most reception is. <laughs> Send us that, or give us the answers to these trivia questions. Yeah, yeah, okay, good call. Definitely you know who it is, that. Mike? What? Do you know who it is? Of course I know who it is. Who? It's Josh Jacobs. Our savior, let's go. And I just knew that because why Mets. else would you ask the question? Huh? Why else would you ask the question? Before we go, Mike. Before we go, are we getting a three-peat tonight? For the Mets? Home run derby. Oh, for Pete. Uh, yeah. I hope so. I wish we got fantasy points for it for our three-sport league. That would certainly help. Uh, but we have clearly gotten way off the rails. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, to another episode of the Trading Table Podcast. We will be back, as promised, more often over the next few months. Pump for football season. Uh, See y'all later.